Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Get your Bible out. You go to our Portico app. You're going to want to take notes. And as we look at the full range of emotions, how many of you could identify with that video? It wasn't broccoli for me. It was turnips. Don't make me eat turnips. That can bring emotional responses out of me that you just don't want to see, do you? Well, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series that's called Thrive, and we're looking at how our life was designed by God to thrive all across every spectrum, that we would thrive in the area of our relationships and our finances, our spiritual pursuits, and even in the realm of our emotions. And so we're going to have a little bit of fun as we go through this today, and we're going to learn some truths together. Here's something I want you to catch right at the beginning. If you're jotting notes down, you can grab this verse because I think it really underlies everything that we're talking about. John chapter 10, verse 10. Now, many of you, if you're new to the Bible, this would be a new verse. But I would say for a lot of us, we know, and we can almost quote it verbatim, but here's what John records, the words of Jesus. He said that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and they can have it to the... We know it. See, Jesus said, I didn't come just to give you life. He said, I have come to give it to the full. And yet for a lot of us, we miss that very statement. Because he pointed out, he said, there's, there's somebody, there's a power, there's a force, there's an enemy working against you who's going to steal and kill and rob and destroy, going to take away your relationships and take away your spiritual vitality. He's going to take away your emotional capacity if you allow him to. And he said, but I've come to give you life. Now, here's what I've begun to realize, that not all of us choose to live at the highest capacity of our lives. Is that not true? So if I did a scale of 1 to 10, Everybody with me? 10 is fully thriving, totally engaged. And one is like, well, somebody just tased me to get me going today. So you got the scale? Everybody with me? How many of you would be above the five factor on the scale? Honestly. Okay. How many below? How many of you are awake? Because based on the number of hands in the room, I have a whole bunch of body shells in the room. I know, this is emotion. I'm talking about emotions, and you guys are all sitting there going like, ooh, I don't know if I want to get into this. Here's the deal, though. God speaks a great deal about our emotions, and He actually gives us some great input when it comes to our emotions. We all have them. We're going to look at how these play into each other. But we really want to know, are we thriving? Because Jesus offers us this incredible life that if we will give every part of it over to him, he will permeate our life and we can thrive in ways that we have never experienced before. Now, let me just say at the outset, some of you are like deeply excited that I'm going to talk about emotions today. You're already reaching for a tissue. You're going, finally, I get to cry in church. I don't have to hold back. I wanted to cry for so long. And you're just going to like, boom, burst those floodgates. And you think we're going to be sobbing. And just it's going to be one emotional day. So you're looking forward to this. The Stoics among the crowd are reaching for their car keys right now. You're gritting your teeth and you're going, if we cry... 
if you force us to cry and we have to end up with a group hug, I'm out of here. Like, I'm just done with this place right now. All right, here, here's what I guarantee you. No tears on my part. Whatever you choose to do is entirely up to you, all right? And if you're gritting your teeth right now, relax. That's not good. Your dentals will talk to you later. You, you just relax. We're going to walk through what it means to be emotionally thriving together. You can put your car keys down. I'll get you through this. It'll be a good day. Everybody in? All right, it's going to be a lot of fun. I do want us, though, to recognize that thriving is what Jesus has called us to. And if we're going to do this together, then we need to learn together and be embracing of each other's diversity when it comes to our emotional capacity. So number one, in your notes, write this down. God created us as emotional beings. So before you blame anybody, start it with God. God is the one who created us to be emotional beings. And if we're going to live life to the full, we have to recognize that who we are is part of God's creative design. Here's a verse that's in your notes. Psalm 139, verse 14. The psalmist says, I praise you because I am what? Fearfully and... Wow. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. So everybody in the room... Pause for a moment. Everybody joining us online this morning, think about this statement. The psalmist was capturing that in the commonness of our humanity, the uniqueness of our individuality is God's greatest joy. That how we express emotion is going to be vastly different, but we all have emotions. Would you agree with that? Sure we do. And God says that I have created you, and the psalmist captured it. He goes, and I love this because God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So if your propensity is that you cry just whenever old yeller movies come on TV or it's just one of those kinds of heart-tugging movies, that's okay. If you don't cry in those moments, that's okay too. As long as you're operating within the realm that God has called you to at your full emotional capacity, that we're not broken when it comes to our emotions. And we'll look at maybe what that is in a few moments together. So my goal is that we would recognize that God has created us this way and he's given us this tremendous capacity. How do I know this? Because I see it every time a brand new baby is born. How many of you have held a baby ever in your life? All right, pretty good engagement so far. Here's what I love. Now, when babies are first born, they just lay there, right? They don't do a lot. We do a lot to try to get them engaged with us. But when they start to grow a little bit, and they start making facial responses, emotional facial responses. Have you ever noticed how a baby can reduce an adult down to the age level of a child? <laughs> they do. Parents, they start doing like goo goo, gaga, making faces, pulling stuff over their head, boo. Like the kid goes, I know this one already. No, I'm going to do it again. We do that. Why are we doing that? We want to see the facial response of the baby in the moment. Is it for the baby's pleasure? No, it's for ours. We want to believe they love us more than the other person that tried to make them go, you know, boo. But it's an expression of who we are. We are emotional beings, and we seek to connect and reach out. And we know that when it comes to emotions, there's a number of them. Now, I'm not a specialist in the area. I just claim that right up front. I've done my research in this. But I realize that if you were to look at sort of the, maybe more of the theory of it, there's either 10 or 6 or 7 or a recent study said four. So nobody really knows, right? So if you look at the number of emotions, there's group categories, big categories, small categories. And three years ago, one group came out and said, we really only have four basic emotions. I, I don't really care about the buckets so much. 
Just the fact that people do recognize that we are emotional beings and we need to express emotion. That's how God made us. And when you think about this, whether it's love or happiness, sadness, fear, anger, disgust, surprise, or joy, we do express emotion. Now, what I find fascinating is how, as a society, we've embraced a brand new way of expressing emotion, and you have. Now, you're thinking, oh, just a minute, I'm not going to bite. We've all done this, and we've all been the recipient. Now, all maybe is a little overstatement. I'm just being inclusive here. But we express emotions differently now. We're living in a day where we no longer have to be physically present to express emotions to another individual. It's this wonderful world of technology. How many of you received one of these pictures on your phone, in your inbox, in your email, on Twitter? (laughs) What is that? Emojis. I can express emotion, and the Stoics in the room are going, I love those things. I don't even have to cry, and I can send my girlfriend and my wife a tear emoji, and they think I'm totally connected with them. And I'm going like, get over it. But there's a tear face for you, just in case that helps. We don't even need to be in the person's presence anymore, and we use emojis to express our emotions. How digitized have we become? So we're changing as a society because normally emotions need to be exchanged in front of each other. That's their optimum value. But we've captured it now in a digital form to try it. And so now you can't get... In fact, one uh, study that I was reading through just a few months ago said, unless you include at least two of those emojis in your communication, you're out of touch. Sorry for all the stoic people in the room. They're going like, oh man, I got to actually go down to that part of my keyboard and do that. Apparently, that's what we have to do. So we realize things are changing dramatically. So whether it's Instagram or Snapchat or WhatsApp or Twitter or Facebook, and apparently that's gone the way of the dinosaurs according to some of the technology, we have technology at our fingertips so that we can express our emotions. But is it really connecting with the other person and are we healthy? So here, look at this verse. In your notes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, it says this. There is a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to... Wow, that's exciting right here, down in the front row. Pastor Dwayne, every week, tries to get us into the last part of this verse. He goes, come on, everybody, let's dance together. Right, Dwayne? Yes. Whoa, you should see the room right now. Some of the guys are going like this, just try it. That's why we're talking about thriving emotionally today. Because we all have emotions, and the Bible says there's appropriate times to give expressions to those emotions. So what is it about this that we need to learn together? Well, the way we express emotions is going to be very, very different for each of us. While there may be broader categories, it's important to realize that basic emotions have all kinds of variations tied into them. Here's another picture I want you to look at. It's called the Wheel of Emotions. Now, the font's a little bit small. This is what they use in a lot of the textbooks to help us understand. But if you look at sort of the the leaves of the diagram, if you want to call it a flower or, or look at the big wheel, you'll notice if you go in three layers, there's surprise and fear and trust and joy, anticipation, anger and disgust. Those are sort of your baseline emotions. They talk about basic, secondary and tertiary emotions. And so I may be feeling anger, but the way I feel it could be different than how you do and the way I express it might be different than you. So it's easy then to not recognize the person's emotional response because we express it differently. Is all anger the same? No. Your 
You're unique. You know that. <laughs> this is okay. It's not therapy. Some of you are like really worried about it. You are unique. God, God like gave you your unique imprint on who you are. So you have unique ways of expressing emotion. Now here's what I want you to catch. You also have unique life situations which feed into how you express your emotions. So if you're going through huge changes in your life, that's going to affect how you express your emotion. If your kids just moved out of your house, that impacts it. If your kids move back into your house, that impacts it. If you've changed jobs, that impacts it. If you've gone through a traumatic life event, some of us have. In fact, this week I know uh, a number of people have lost loved ones. Jillian, you're with us in the room and our, our sympathy and our hearts go out to you and you're lost this week. But the loss of a loved one affects how we express our emotions. When we get new jobs that express our emotions, when we change countries or change homes, all of this stuff feeds in. So each one of us, we have these unique life situations, could be chronic pain, could be illness, could be our finances, whatever it is, this feeds in to our emotional response. Then add into the mix, so we all agree that we're going to have unique life circumstances, add into this mix that we respond physiologically in different ways to life circumstances. So if I were to ask you to come up and speak to the entire audience, how many of you enjoy getting up and speaking in public? I have a 10-year-old that's willing to come up there. Are you 10? No, 8, 12, 14? I'm, I'm missing the age zone, ain't I? We're not connecting emotionally right now, are we? But she is willing, she would, I know she would. She'd totally come up here. You know what happened when I said, would you come up here? Some of you immediately, your stomach just went, oops. And a few of you started doing this because your hands started getting sweaty. What is that? That's a physiological response to a situation where your emotions begin to show and we realize that we all are unique when it comes to this. God created you the way you are. So when you recognize that and you embrace that, then you start to learn. So what do we do to begin to thrive? Understanding that you are emotional and that you have great capacity is the beginning. Number two, write it down in your notes. Distorted emotions can negatively impact your ability to thrive. So distorted emotions are those moments when everything just seems to crash and it just breaks. And we've all seen what happens when this takes place. There are temper tantrums. There are anger outbursts. There are words that are said. There's yelling. There's screaming. There's pouting. There's relational breakdown. And that was just at your Christmas dinner this past year. So what happens in these moments when we have this breakdown and distorted emotions begin to create relational distress? Here's what we read in the scriptures, Proverbs 29, verse 11. It says, a fool expresses his, all of his emotions, but a wise person controls them. Whoa, that's good, isn't it? A fool allows all his emotions to go out there uncontrolled, unrestrained. But the Bible says that a wise person controls them. We need to catch this. Because some people permission themselves into just unbelievable anger outbursts or emotional displays, and they go, well, I just had no control over that. That's just who I am. They go, no, that's not what the Bible says. It says that we're emotional beings, but we have control over how we give expression to our emotion. So when it comes to things that are upsetting to us, we can choose how we're going to be angry, how we're going to express our anger, and when we're going to do that. 
And the Bible says the fool is the one that allows that just to burst out with no control, no constraint. But the wise person knows how to control that. And that's true across every expression of emotion. So we see this, that distorted emotions can have an impact. And if we mismanage our emotions, if we mismanage them, it just wreaks havoc on our lives. Now, if you're new to the Bible, I'm going to tell a story that I want you just to follow along. And those of you that are very familiar with the Scripture, we're going to go to John chapter 11, and it's in your notes. You can turn over there. And it's the story of Jesus and his friend Lazarus. So I'll set it up. Uh, Jesus had been teaching in Jerusalem. Things have been going well, but the persecution and the opposition from the religious leaders had sort of forced him to make an exit. So he'd gone back into the region of Perea, and he was reaching out and sharing the good news with people that were more welcoming. He's in Perea when he gets word that his friend that he loved, John is very intentional. He said, the friend that Jesus loved, that's Lazarus, was sick. So a messenger comes to Jesus and said, would you come back to Bethany, right near Jerusalem, would you come back? Your friend needs you. And Jesus listens to the message, and then John reports what he does, which is very unusual. He waits two more days. He doesn't go right away. Confusing to his disciples, no question. And Jesus had a reason, a rationale to do this. So two days later, they make their way to Jerusalem. When they get there, the Bible says they find that Lazarus has been dead for four days already. Four days in the tomb. And when he gets there, he steps into this scene where there's all kinds of emotional carnage. Think about it. The family that Jesus and his disciples would often stay with whenever they were in the area in Bethany was Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, brother and the two sisters. So Jesus, that was like his second home. He would hang out there. So he gets there. His friend is dead. The sisters of his friend, his personal friends, are quite emotionally charged in the moment. The disciples are emotionally charged. They're confused about why would you wait. The crowd is confused about the man who should be able to heal people. Why couldn't he have shown up and healed the person? Now the guy is dead. He was his friend. Why would I follow somebody who lets his best friend die? And the religious leaders, they're going to have an anger spike because of what Jesus does. Everybody following me so far? All right. So go to John chapter 11, verse 20. Jesus arrives on the scene. Let's look at what it says in the scripture. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. A lot of insight right here. Martha and Mary, two close friends. These are the two ladies. Remember when Jesus was there one time, Martha said, I should make a meal for Jesus. He's got to be hungry. I want to show my love. I'm going to prepare a really nice meal. Mary, come and help me make the dinner. Mary goes, no, I don't want to do that. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus, and I want to learn from him. Martha goes to Jesus and tattletales on Mary. Says, tell my sister to help me make the dinner. And he goes, no, she's chosen the better. She gets to sit and listen to me. You go make the dinner. Now, that's my interpretation. So this is a wonderful dynamic of emotions that are going on. So I need you to know the relationship here. So they're well connected to Jesus. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, Martha goes out to see him. Who's the confrontational one in the story? Martha. She confronted Jesus in the house over the meal. She confronted Jesus over the issue of Lazarus. She goes to meet Jesus. What did Mary do? Not a trick question, I just told you. She stayed home. Okay, whoa. So Martha is so disappointed with Jesus, she's going to confront him. Lord, why did you wait? If you had been here, 
you could have saved him. So in the immediacy of her life situation, her emotions are right, they're raw, they're right on the front edge, and she's confronting Jesus, going, if you would have been here, you could have saved my brother, why wouldn't you come? Have you ever felt that way? You ever experienced that emotion where you don't understand the other person's motives and your emotions push to the forefront, and so you see this, and Jesus is going to have to manage it. So he gets into the whole conversation about the resurrection of life and gets her settled down, and she goes, okay. Then you got Mary, and this one just blows me away. This is the lady who said, I want to just sit at the feet of Jesus. I just want to learn from him. I love listening to this man. And somebody said, oh, Mary, by the way, Jesus is here. I don't want to see him. I'm just going to stay in the house. So I don't know if she was pouting. I don't know if she was just so upset that she couldn't respond. But what I am seeing in the story is this is a woman who's going through an emotional moment in her life where she could not physically put herself in the presence of Jesus. She was so distraught over the death of her brother and probably thoroughly distraught over why her friend who had power to heal didn't show up on time. Does that make sense? And when she does face Jesus, why didn't you come? Now, it's the one area of the Scripture that shows us the power of our emotions because the Bible says that when... Mary began to weep, Jesus noticing that she's weeping and seeing the crowd around. In verse 35, it says, and Jesus wept too. I love that. That God weeps over our brokenness and our hurt and our pain. That's a God who understands what good emotional release is all about. So we see this in the story, and we begin to recognize that if we have these mismanaged emotions, they can actually destroy our ability to thrive. And so we need to talk this out. Here's what I recognize. This story has very, very relevant application for us today because we're reading in theirs in a highly emotionally charged environment. I believe that we are continuously living in highly emotionally charged moments. We live in congested cities with congested traffic, with congested... Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, we get up. People everywhere... Then you try to pull out on the road and go somewhere. There's people in cars all over the place. Not to mention we're one of them. But we're so upset at everybody who's out on the road. That's where road rage comes from. And then the pace of life. Does anybody else feel it's just a little too fast? Well, three of us, I guess. We're all going to get together. Like the pace at which we live today is crazy. It's like we've microwaved everything that we need to do. In fact, I'll prove it to you. How many of you have a cell phone? Okay. One more exercise, just keep blood flowing. How many of you have ever texted somebody or sent an email? Good. I know the rest of you are lying, but you're in church. God sees you. (laughs) So what do we do? We take our phone out. This is the pace of life we live in today. We take out our phone, and so I get my phone out, and I know i got to talk to Dwayne about something because, you know, I want to dance next Sunday, so I want him to know we're going to dance next Sunday. So I get my phone out, and I go, Pastor Dwayne. So I type out my text, Pastor Dwayne, make sure we got some lively songs next week. We want to dance. Send. No emoticons. Just send. And I wait for three seconds, and Dwayne hasn't responded. Five seconds, Dwayne hasn't responded. Ten seconds. Like, what on earth has taken him so long? It's not that hard. Even Siri is faster than this. He hasn't responded. 30 seconds. We hit a minute. What's going on? Within a minute, do you ever feel anger start to rise? Because 
Why didn't they answer my text? What did I do? Did I offend them? Did I hurt them? Did I say something the last time I was with them? What's wrong with them? Why are in... Oh, no. What if something serious happened to them today? Oh, man, what if they got hit by a car, they got a broken leg, or their car was in an accident? Oh, what if they lost their phone or somebody stole their phone? And now we start to have empathy in a different way. And you go, no, somebody else would have told me that that happened. Now we're angry again because they have... See, that's what happens. This is what we're dealing with. And we live in this reality every day right now. Don't look at me like I'm the only person feeling this because you guys are right there with me. And we see that it's so important to us because as we go through this pace of life, It's driving our emotions at levels we were never prepared to handle, and we get into this distorted emotional carnage if we're not careful. Now, I wish I could fix it in five minutes for you on Sunday, and I can't. You know that. Now, I could also say we could pray and just get that fixed too. But here's the subject so vast and so diverse that I want to make sure that you have access to really good and professional insight. So Tuesday night... I've asked Dr. Christy Prouse, she's part of our church family, if she would come in and speak to us about this whole area of our emotions and how do we manage them in light of all the different things that we face, because we all do. So she's agreed to come in. She's going to be here Tuesday at 7, and she's bringing members of her team to do workshops. If there's ever been a night you should be here, it's going to be Tuesday night. It's going to be fantastic. Christy's going to tell you in her own words what we're about to see. Go ahead. Hi there, I'm Dr. Christy Prose, and I'm the Founder and Chief Medical Officer at the Institute for Hormonal Health, which is an integrative and holistic practice where we have married the wisdom of conventional Western medicine with traditional Chinese medicine, naturopathic medicine, bioenergetic medicine, nutritional sciences, and we apply it to hormonal health issues in a holistic way which really means just addressing the mind, body, and spirit. I know that there will be many of you out there that say, hormonal, not me, but I know somebody who is. What you may be interested in knowing is that 80% of the North American population is now struggling with the physical and emotional consequences of hormonal disruption. The reason for that is that the underpinnings is a stress-related phenomenon. There is no generation before ours that has lived in the crazy, hectic lifestyles that we do, and we're paying the price for it. Often I share with my patients that real healing comes from addressing the mind and the spirit aspect. Of course, we have to address the body as well, and sometimes the body can take enough of a beating that it makes it a challenge to address the mind-spirit aspect of it. But ultimately, at the end of it all, it is key that the mind-spirit be addressed. That's how you get well and you stay well. So I challenge you, if 80% of this audience is struggling with the emotional and physical consequences of a stress-related phenomena, is it possible that you're missing the obvious? Is it possible that you're normalizing your stress and are unaware of the negative physiologic consequences? Join us on Tuesday night where myself and several of my team members are going to be speaking to uh, various hormonal symptoms that are often overlooked, many times misdiagnosed and certainly mismanaged. Things like burnout, overwhelm, fatigue, anxiety, depression, irritability, sleep disruption, gastrointestinal issues, foggy thinking, aches and pains. Sounding familiar? So if that's you or one of those hormonal persons that are close to you, then please come and join us on Tuesday night. And we look forward to seeing you and sharing with you what it is that we know. Wow, 80% of North American people are impacted by hormonal disruption. That's 8 out of 10. 
And most of you are thinking, man, I'm sure glad I'm in the two out of ten category right now because we don't want to put ourselves in the bucket. So what we're going to do on Tuesday night, everybody's on the same playing field. It's just going to be a safe place to come, great information. We want you to be here because we want to make sure that you have the best resources available for you. All right, get into your notes. Number three, let's wrap all this up. Here's what I want you to take away. Intentional personal reflection will enable you to thrive emotionally. Now, this is not a cure, a fast fix, or a one-step remedy, but it is a very powerful step towards emotional wholeness. We thrive when we build into our life moments for intentional personal reflection. Now, we can call it any number of different things. Some people like to journal. Some people like to pray. Some people like to reflect or to meditate, to get alone, get quiet. But it's important to create space in the rhythm of our day for reflection. And in those moments to allow us to connect with God and His design for our life and how we live our life out. So as you look at your world and you wonder, how am I doing? Am I thriving emotionally? So often we have this inability to connect with others because our emotions are right on the edge, right on the fringe, and they're about to break. They always feel strained. The Bible says over in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to mourn with those who mourn, that we are to actually give into others our, our greatest life if we live life to the full, that my emotional reserves should be so filled and I should be thriving at such a level that I'm actually able to empathize and give to someone else. And yet so often, so often, we are desperately just in need of somebody else to appreciate what we're going through. We don't have capacity to get there. So how do you build that margin? How do you build that capacity in your life? Well, this is this area of building in some intentional personal reflection to be able to pray, to be able to think, to be able to reflect, and to get better at understanding who you are. Our world spends a lot of time talking about um, our IQ, our intelligence quotient. It's really only been in the last number of years that psychologists have been giving greater recognition to the EQ, the emotional quotient of our lives. That's our ability to be able to empathize and understand somebody else and to recognize what's going on in our own world. That in fact, that the greater our personal EQ is, the better our relationships are with each other. And when we reflect on our life, we respond better in situations. Let me show you this. You look at the story in John 11. How did Jesus manage to walk into the middle of all of those emotions? Mary and Martha, the disciples, the crowd, the people that were expecting the healing and the, um, the religious leaders who now want to kill Jesus. How did he manage all of that? Jesus regularly and consistently, you find it all through the Gospels, he took time to get away and spend time with his Father. He just knew what it was to find a quiet place and just to be able to pray and that inner relationship with his father allowed him to give expression to his outer relationships with everybody else. So there's a, a text which is really interesting in the book of John. Those of you that have been reading the Bible for a while, you'll remember this. Jesus regularly go to the temple. And one day he goes to the temple, 
And John tells us that when he got there, he saw the money changers, he saw the salespeople, he saw all the activity that was going on, and it's like he lost his mind. He starts flipping tables, and he starts shouting at the people, and he says, this is my father's house, and it's going to be called a what? A house of prayer. I think that's kind of ironic as he's booting everybody out of there and he's hitting them with a whip and he's flipping tables. Let's pray. Wouldn't you love to go to prayer meetings like that? So I remember reading that story when I was growing up and I would read that and I'd go, this is like Jesus the Power Ranger. I love this Jesus. You know, I love a guy that gets in and takes control of the situation, but everybody else reads the story and they, okay, so I need help. But everybody else reads the story and they go, what's going on with Jesus? Did he just have a breakdown on that particular day? Because remember, he was Jewish. His family regularly would go back for the feasts and the celebrations. That means he saw that scene repeatedly over the course of his life. But on this day, it's like something snapped. And all of a sudden, he starts scattering everything and kicking people out and making these loud declarations. You go, what was going on? Was this just an anger outburst? And John actually gives us a little insight. John says that Jesus, when he saw the scene, he made a whip. There's a difference between righteous anger and reckless anger. Jesus took time. He didn't respond out of emotional overload He had seen the scene many times before. It's just that on this day, he was prepared to respond with an appropriate measure. And he walks in, and he fashions an instrument of discipline, and he begins to clear the temple because everybody on the Temple Mount knew that what they were doing was wrong. They shouldn't have been doing it in the first place. And so he expresses his emotions. How could he do that? How could he walk into an environment? Here's the difference. So often what we do, most of our emotions come out of a reckless source, not out of a righteous source. And if we're not careful, our emotions spill over and damage other people. That's why we become part of that 80% that Dr. Prowse was talking about, because some of us become victimized by somebody else's reckless emotions. And so Jesus knew that it was important to have intentional times of just personal prayerful reflection where he could be with his father and spend time understanding who he was and how to respond. I said at the beginning of the message, and I want to bring it all the way back right now. Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you in the full, complete. Jesus didn't invite you to something that he did not believe you could achieve. He didn't set you up for failure because people often think about Jesus and go, oh, yeah, well, Jesus could say that. I mean, he's God and man. He has his God capacity. Remember the Bible says that he set aside his faculties? He, didn't, he set aside his God capacities so that he could walk on this earth, and he did. He walked full of grace and full of truth. And so then he, led by the Spirit, submitted to the Spirit, obedient to the Spirit, exemplifies what it is to be emotionally whole, and to thrive. So what he did is he left us a pathway to say, you can do the very same thing. And while the enemy is going to want to come in and kill and steal and rob and destroy, because that's what he'll do, and he'll play with your emotions, I've come so that you can have life and have it abundantly. And he was talking about eternal life, but he's also talking about our emotional life as well, that we could have good relationships, good emotional quotient in our life if we would allow him to transform us. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's the kind of Jesus I want to follow because he not, he's not calling me to something I can't achieve. 
He's empowering me to do something that he's enabling me to achieve. And he said, and I will give you my spirit and my spirit will be with you. So not only does he make us new inside, but he says, I give you my spirit and my spirit will lead you, my spirit will guide you and my spirit will empower you. Now that's life. And that's the life I want to live. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we thank you for the privilege of just digging into your word and just beginning to understand what it is to be emotionally whole and to thrive. And we want to thrive in every dimension, but especially in this realm, where in our relationships and our interpersonal relationships with each other, that our emotions are expressed in ways that are life-giving and building and expressive to help us better communicate and to empathize and understand each other. So I pray that you would help us as we follow Christ to live this new life, that we would learn how not to be reckless with our emotions, but out of prayerful reflection and intentional soul-searching, we live our lives in ways that are healthy and life-giving for others. And Lord, I know that that comes when we first give our life to you and we let you take over Because you said, if you'll trust me, believe that I am the Son of God, accept my salvation, my wholeness in your life, then you will have my spirit in you, and you'll have the life that you desire. So I pray today that that would be true for all of us. And as your eyes are closed, those of you online that you're watching, those of you in the room, if you're here listening to my voice today, I would challenge you. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never given your life to him, and you recognize everything I've been talking about. You go, boy, that is my world. Jesus wants to give you life, full life, but it comes when we surrender to him, and we start by saying, Jesus, be Lord of my life. I accept the forgiveness of sins that you've provided for. Take over. Give me a new spirit in my heart so that I can live this life that we're talking about today. And as everybody else is praying, if you're in the room this morning, you'd say, Doug, that, that really is me. I just need to trust Jesus with this new life. Could you, just real quick, raise a hand, just so I can say, I want to pray with you before I leave. Thank you. Anyone else? Real fast, just so I can see it, and we'll close out in prayer. Lord, as you just look at our hearts and you see where we are today, I thank you that new life is available for us. And for some, taking that first step to say yes to you is powerful. So as we do respond, thank you that your word declares that we can trust that you've come in and given us life abundantly. And we pray it in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.